we are going to do two things to start this new year. Um, we're going to resume our study in the Gospel of Mark. We paused our study in the Gospel of Mark at the beginning of our Advent season. And uh, we paused at a perfect break point. In Mark chapter 5, really the first thrust of the story of the ministry of Jesus has come to a close. And we're going to resume at Mark chapter 6, which really starts a new act in the ministry of Jesus with his disciples. Um, we're also going to look at this through the lens of the new year. And this is just, it's certainly not a biblical feast by any means, but uh, it is a, a time that I think it's good. We saw the invitation to cultivate renewal with Pastor Noah. Uh, if you're, you're like a typical person around the new year, it's a time to kind of think about the new start. It's a fresh year. What are you going after? What are you going to do? And there are all sorts of things that will be happy to have your attention, uh, your focus your money to answer that question for you as to what 2023 is going to be all about. The, uh, it's that time of year where we're going to look at all of the upcoming trends for you to think about what this 2023 focus may be about for you. So uh, in preparation of thinking about the new year and the trends that may await us and just forecasting in the future, uh, a couple options for you as you think about it. Fashion trends, if you guys seen the fashion trends, it's oversized everything now. So everything's a little bit looser fit, baggier. The 90s are back, so that's good news for those of us who lived through the 90s. Um, so skinny jeans are out, oversize is in. It's good news for everyone. Um, the hair trends, also oversized. It's like big, big hair is in. So uh, for those of you who have been thinking about getting a perm, now it's your time. Um, Exercise trends, this one kind of really is starting to take off. I don't know how many of you have seen the trend of uh, cold therapy. Ice baths are in. So for those of you who are new to our city, the Boise River is like a 10-minute drive. It's free. You don't have to pay anyone. You get in and you sit in there for like three minutes. Now, I am not endorsing that. that. Do that at your own risk. But, you know, you get the blood circulating, and it's a very trendy way to kind of reinvigorate the body. The question remains for every category of your life. There will be forecasts for how you spend your money, for how you plan your trips, for how you plan for the future of our world with politics and wars. But the question really isn't what is 2023 or your new year going to be about. The fundamental question for all of these things is actually who are you going to follow? Because even me just, you know, saying these trends, someone is forecasting the future, the trend makers, the trendsetters. And all of it, in some ways, for us as we are about to do a Bible study, it's almost as if there's a cultural time of a prophetic movement. It's like, here's where we're going. From fashion to finance, here's where we're going. And today, we are going to answer the question, who are you following? Because I assume you chose to spend New Year's Day singing songs to God and hearing a message from the Bible because you're interested, at least in a small way, into following Jesus. And I can't think of a better way to start the new year, have a foundational message when you think about how you began your 2023 than by hearing a message about what it means to follow Jesus. And we just happen to find ourselves in a passage of Scripture that gives a number of different views into what it actually looks like to follow him. 
And it's, of course, as the Gospel of Mark has been throughout our study, it's surprising. It's not as simple as showing up to church and singing some songs and checking the box of who you're following. So we start in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, to, to find the theme of this question. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. So this is going to be now a collection of moments with Jesus and his disciples as to what it means for them to follow him. And smuggled into this introductory chapter of our new year, we have a reason to look back. And I think it's probably good, even if we didn't have to answer the question, what is Mark saying when it says he went out from there? Where were we? What did we just study uh, leading up to our Advent season in the Gospel of Mark? And so if you'll recall, from about November on, we were really studying two chapters, Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5. And those two chapters establish the incredible authority and power and amazing response in the ministry of Christ. So Mark chapter 4 started with some of the most famous stories ever told to humanity, the parables. And from the parables, Jesus then went on to invite his disciples to follow him into some living parables where they saw the ministry of Jesus just take flight. From This all happens in the region of Galilee. He goes across the sea, and remember what happens. A giant storm rises up, and we see with a word, he calms the storm, the authority over nature, the the master of creation. It's like incredible. It says the disciples see that, and they fear him and worship him. And then they get across the Sea of of Galilee and they get to, we met the demoniac, the person that was possessed by a legion of demons, 6,000 demons in this man. And with a word, Jesus casts out the demons and they beg him to have mercy on them and he gives them to the swine and they go into the abyss. And all of the people in that town were like, holy moly, this guy has power and they're afraid of him comes back over the sea, and we see a healing of the woman with the flow of blood. She said, if, you just, if I could just touch the hem of your garment, this guy is so powerful that I'll be healed of a condition that I've been plagued with for 12 years. And she was right. She reaches out to him. He sees her faith. She's healed. And at this time, his ministry is booming so much that she has to fight the crowd because there's just throngs of people with Jesus everywhere he goes. And in this same story at the end of Mark chapter 5, where we left off, remember Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, said, my daughter's about to die, but if you just lay hands on her, there's this incredible faith happening where we left off. And of course, he says, if you lay hands on her, she'll live, and he's right. He goes into a house, she had died, and he raises her from the dead. That's where we left off. That's what Mark, in in one simple little sentence, he says, from where they came from, the disciples are following him, now into his own country. So we had to look back to remind ourselves of the absolute peak by which we were studying Jesus. You study those two chapters of the ministry of Christ, and you cannot help but see him as God incarnate. And yet, with all of that said, We're now pivoting into what it says is his own country. And it says that they followed him into his own country. And this is a fitting story that we're going to experience because we're about to go from the peak of the ministry of Christ into an absolute slump in the ministry of Christ. And the question of how to follow Christ has to cover both categories. In your new year, we are not starting with the message of how amazing the peak of following Christ is going to be. But it's, it's timely. Because is there a more peak season of Christ than December? 
for the church, for the, the, those who are maybe the outsiders looking in. December is like peak Jesus in our culture. You know, it's like Advent, he's the reason for the season. It's Light 108, Jesus. It's your Amazon, Alexa, Jesus. It's everything, everywhere. You got the nativities all over the street. You have lights with stars and angels, and you go into the superstores, and it's like Jesus, 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 peak Jesus. And then what do we do? Last week we did it. Joy to the entire world, the Savior of the world is born. It's the peak worship celebration of Jesus. And from December, what happens? From December, we shift to remember through symbol what happens when we get to the explosion of ministry. It's often followed by who's really with me. Last week, we had three services. This week, look around. Say hello to the empty chair next to you. Everyone has celebrated Jesus, and now it's time to move on once again. I find it both ironic and symbolic that every year you take Jesus out of the attic and you put him in the nativity scene, which I love as a reminder of the humility of Christ to come as a babe in a manger. And no doubt, either this week or next, he will go back in the box and back in the attic. A symbol of how we peak Jesus and then we lose interest. And the disciples who follow him are going to follow him not simply through the boom of the bumper crop but they're going to follow him into now a pivot of the story to where Jesus is going to be, in a sense, limited by the lack of faith. So faith, a two-sided coin, last study in the book of Mark, it was like with incredible faith of a mustard seed, Jesus is able to do amazing things in the lives of people who seek him. Now we look at the other side of the coin. With the unbelief of people, Jesus seems to be limited in the way that he moves in people's life. And so this is where the story resumes. It says, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. So the, the custom of what we're doing right now, we even see you're doing a, a job now just to follow Jesus into a place of teaching. The synagogue was kind of the, the extension of the temple, the pre-church, if you will. And he goes in to teach in his hometown. The hometown kid has returned. And what happens? What happens when Jesus, who has done miraculous things by which we just summarized in Galilee, comes back to Nazareth. It says, And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? At first read, or until you keep reading, it looks as though they have the proper response, which is, wow, this is incredible. The stories that they heard, that you just heard, should, should bring them in awe. And then the teaching of Christ. He's come into the synagogue, he's opened a scroll, and he has taught the people himself. And yet, they're astonished, not in a way that would cause them to praise and worship him. It says in verse 3, they're astonished because of who they know him to be. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Judas and Simon? Are, are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. They, they knew him not as a miracle worker. They knew him as the carpenter down the street. And, and they knew him not as the Christmas joy of the world, they knew him as the child of a scandalous birth, the son of Mary. 
the, the, the story is that they knew him so well, at least they thought, that they didn't know him at all. He, they become so familiar with who they thought Jesus was that when they hear stories of who he actually is, they're, they're limited in their understanding to even accept it. For which Jesus says, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now this proverb that Jesus will share has a warning that goes both ways. One, it's, it's a warning, it's a proverb to say, be careful when familiarity breeds contempt. When people know Jesus so well that they don't know him at all. And he says, you know, uh, imagine a prophet who speaks with the authority of God calling men to repentance. As he goes to a foreign land or to people who don't know him, they listen and he speaks on behalf of God. But when he's in his own family, it's like, who does this guy think he is? This is my brother. I know this guy. I, I, I'm by no means can, I'm not a prophet I'm not Jesus, but I can relate. I could say that a pastor in his own right uh, is not without honor except for his own household. I mean, I get great encouragement. You guys are so, it's just a blessing to serve you, so loving and encouraging. But you know who doesn't often encourage me with like, wow, that message changed my life? My sisters. They know me as their brother who is annoying and has bad manners and was a poor student in school and, and was weird in the, in the household. And so for them, they look at me like, I know him too much to listen to him. I had the same experience when I went to my high school reunion, 20-year reunion, and you do the thing which you do at high school reunions. I see a class of 2000 Eagle High right here. And people say, what do you do now? And I say, I'm a pastor. And they're like, a pastor of what? <laughs> We knew you. You aren't a pastor. So one of the challenges with those of us who celebrate the Christmas story and we see the nativity and we're the babe in the manger, this is hometown turf for Christ. He comes into this sanctuary. He comes into our city and into our world. And we're like, yeah, we know you. We know what you offer. We know the, the verses. We know that you're gonna, the, the preacher's going to tell us to read our Bible and to pray. We get the story. And because we're so familiar with Christ, we actually think we know him, and now we don't know him at all. Because he is not a babe in a manger, only. He comes into our world through humility, to lead a life, to sympathize with humanity, but he is the glorified Christ sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. And if we leave him in the Christmas story, because we think we know the story by now, we have taken away the honor of who he actually is. It's also a warning to those who follow him. Jesus says the student is not greater than the master. It says they followed him to his hometown. They followed him from the peak of ministry into the rejection of ministry, into the ministry where it says people are actually offended by who he is. It's not just that they laughed at him. They heard the message and said, who do you think you are? They heard the message that he actually is the Messiah when he opened up the scroll to the book of Isaiah and said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. I have come to represent the day of the Lord and they want to kill him. And the disciples who follow him are not greater than the master. I think 
oftentimes we want Christmas to be Christianity. It's gifts, and it's family, and it's songs, and it's kids that are well-behaved because they're about to get something good. That's not what we find in following Christ. What we find is that he himself can go into a synagogue and some people won't listen to him teach. Some people have the horrible condemnation that they heard Jesus preach and rejected it. Some people see Jesus work miracles and find a way to actually credit him as a worker of Satan. And we want our following of Jesus to be nothing but ease and comfort. And that's not how it's going to work. I think there's a beautiful picture of sometimes what the world would offer versus what Jesus is calling us to. Uh, Did any of you watch the World Cup? Yeah, there's some hands. Anybody watch the World Cup on repeat at midnight last night? It's a combination of the polls. The World Cup was, by all accounts, the trophy that's offered to the, the, it's really the world's trophy. It's the world's sport whether you like it or not. I know there are a lot of football fans. And this World Cup was interesting because the player that most people thought was the best, Messi from Argentina, had never won a World Cup. So if he wins this one, it's, it's over. He's the best of all time. And he wins. Argentina wins the World Cup. I know some of you watched because you were watching in the balcony between services, cheering. <laughs> and then he flies home to be greeted by a million people. The, 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 the parade that welcomes the best football player of all time, soccer player for you Americans. They welcome him with dancing and songs. Why? Because he's the best person that has ever lived that can kick a ball inside of a net. And it's, I love sports, but that's what he does. He kicks a ball in a net. And if you're the best in the world at that, and you win the the cup for your nation, you will be greeted as a king. And what does Jesus get? He calms a storm, master of creation. He casts out a demon, master of spirituality. He heals the sick, master of the physical body. He raises the dead. There is life available in his name that goes beyond the grave. And how is he met? We're offended by you. Now you have to ask yourself, who do you want to follow? There's a lot of young kids that want to grow up to be messy. My dad actually went out and bought Argentinian wine. He said, let's celebrate. We got, we got to celebrate Argentina. And there's a tendency in all of us to say, well, of course, we just want honor. The honor for Christ is not now. If we extend the Christmas story into just the life of following Jesus, there's no room for him, both historical and symbolic. It says he came to his own and his own received him not, both in Nazareth, in Israel, and into the world that he created. The world receives him not. But by the grace of God, he pours out his spirit. He opens your eyes. You see him as your savior. And it says, follow me. And this is what you're following him to. The world will receive you not. The message of Christ that will save your soul, that has power to heal your body, 
and give you life in his name beyond the grave is offensive. It offends your ability to save yourself. It offends every other deity which is a false deity in this world. It offends a lifestyle that could find resolutions and goals and commitments a part of Christ. And it says to you, if you are not in Christ, you are dead in sins. It is an offensive message. And as we see a picture of Jesus about to call his disciples not simply to be students of his, but to actually take part in the ministry, he does not call them at the peak. He calls them in the slump. He calls them, as many of you are called, in a moment where you have to make a decision about who you actually live for, how your name will actually be honored. And it says in verse 5, he could do no, no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Shows you the bar of his ministry that it says he could do no mighty work. Yeah, he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. In most accounts, by all standards, laying your hands on someone and them finding healing would be a mighty work. And yet, to help us comprehend just how miraculous and wonderful and powerful Christ was in his earthly ministry, if there's only a few people coming to him, there is a lack of mighty work. And, and you can wrestle with this moment of the story. It says that he marvels because of their unbelief. In some ways, it almost seems as though the unbelief of those in his hometown prevented his mighty, miraculous power from going out. But I don't think that's the case. It says he healed a few. He healed some that, that, that were sick. What we find in the previous chapters where he's doing mighty things is that if someone just has a monocle of faith, he will heal them. But what they all had in common is that they came and they bowed before him and they begged him for help. It is not that Jesus' miraculous power to work in your life needs you to have some matching faith. It just needs you to come to him at all. He cannot heal you if you do not ask. He cannot save you if you do not call upon his name for salvation. I think of my wife who's sitting over here, so I thought of you. But she's an amazing, amazing, amazing cook. I actually didn't know that before we got married, and that's just kind of one of the things I didn't really know, and then I, I lucked into it, really, amazing cook. But, you know, there are times when her food gets thrown out, and our children go hungry. And it is not that my wife somehow the deliciousness and the quality and the goodness of her food requires my kids to eat it. Rather, it is that for them to not go hungry, they have to come sit at the table and consume it. She can make all of the food, and it doesn't change anything about her talent. But if they're not willing to come to her, they go hungry. And I think of Jesus marveling. It's, it's only a couple times in the Gospels that Jesus is marveling at the reaction of people. And one of them is that they lacked faith? They wouldn't come? In other areas of the gospel where we see people healed and set free and saved in his name, it says that they were bringing people to him all day long. 
that there were crowds of him just trying to get close to him. And in this town, the reason that not many people were healed is that no one came. And he says, why not? And you wonder in our lives what he marvels at in our lives. As we think about all of the different things that we hope this year can resolve or do well by, or this year can somehow be blessed by. Anything that you are not saying to God, God, unless you bless it, it's cursed. Unless it's your will, it will not be good. Uh, Jesus, and, and, unless I am following you with my life, with my money, with my time, with my energy, with my passion, with my commitments, I, I'm wasting my time. He marvels at your lack of faith. And then we wonder, you know, why, isn't thing, why, aren't, why aren't things working out in our life? Well, what in our life are we not allowing God to fix? God to work with? God to answer the prayer for? What are we not seeking him for? And then it says, he went about the village in a circuit teaching. A couple of things about this, again, this small sentence. He's rejected. He, his mighty works cannot be revealed because no one's coming. And what is his response? This might be part of the sermon for some of you. His response is to keep teaching. His response is to say, I'm going to the next town. I'm going to the next village. I've come to proclaim the day of the Lord, and if you don't hear me, the next town over will. And so you've come to a journey of faith with God. You've come to a view of a new year. And you think about plans that didn't work out and things you're struggling with and different areas of your life that seem to be less than victorious. And one of the messages as you want to follow Christ is to endure. You don't stay in the place of rejection. You don't stay in the place where you can't see the hand of God working in, in miraculous ways in your life. It says he went on teaching. And now we have a pivot in the story. Again, answering the question, who do you follow or what does it look like to follow Jesus? We follow him in the highs, in the lows. We follow him in mighty works and in the slumps. And we follow him in rejection and we follow him in praise. And then in verse 7, it says he called the 12 to himself. Up until this point in the gospel account of the ministry and life of Jesus, everything he has been doing, he's been doing. The disciples were really there as students, watching, learning, some, some minor helping points, asking some questions, and sometimes not helping at all. But now he's going to pivot the ministry. And he's going to begin to take the students and give them some practical ways to learn in real time. Again, a timely passage of Scripture as we think about following Jesus into a new year, coming from where we just went. We learned all about Jesus. We studied him all month long. And we've got the story down, and we believe he came into the world. And as we pivot from the boom of December into January, one of the ways that he moves past the crowds of people through the slump is by commissioning those who are following him to actually help him, to actually be part of the mission with him. It says he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Jesus is now multiplying himself. I love this pattern of just how discipleship happens. 
In fact, this passage of Scripture is a mirror of how Guna disciples in India, if you've ever met Guna, our amazing just mover in the faith in India, he says his pattern for ministry and discipleship is he says, first, I do everything, and my people watch me. And then I do everything, and they start to help me. And then they begin to do things, and I help them. And then they do it, and I watch. And in some ways, we're seeing that transition happening in the life of Jesus. I hope that's something that we consider as we go from watching Jesus, seeing him move, hearing the word preached, to now serving. You know, as you think about what your life is all about, it's a great time to be thinking about it. There is no greater purpose than serving God. It doesn't mean you have to serve at a church or start a nonprofit or even move to a mission field. But at some point in your hunger for purpose, it will be, go beyond to why you were made into how you will commit to why you were made. What are you doing to serve God practically? To go beyond the stories and into the actual mission. And I love that it says he calls them two by two, a pattern throughout Scripture. Again, as we just look for things to be encouraged by into the new year, one way I'll encourage you as you think about being a follower of Christ is to not follow Christ alone. And to think about being sent or taking part in some sort of service unto God. I find it true in my own life. It is so much more powerful when I find people to serve with. Two by two, he sends them into the towns. And then he gave them power over unclean spirit. You know, this is the very first mission of the gospel that Jesus would commission or give to others to fulfill in his name. But it's the first of a preview of what is called the Great Commission, where he will start to train them. They're going to come back. He's going to teach them how to rest. And he's going to teach them along the way as they're doing mission. And the ultimate mission which is the death and resurrection of Christ, will then catapult the ultimate great commission, which is how the story of the gospels end. He raises from the grave and he says, go make disciples of all of the nations. And he says, with all authority I give to you to go out and baptize people in my name. That we live in a timeline where we are part of the authority of Christ given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit to take part in the mission of God, to reach the nations, to be in community of service together, and to be about making disciples. So again, as we just filter through how we're starting our year, grateful for a, for a moment to remind this church, all of you who follow Christ, a reminder of the purpose of the community of God, that we are supposed to be commissioned people. We're supposed to be on the move with Christ. We're supposed to be taking part in what was started from the ascension to this day until Christ returns to go out and do what he's about to do with his disciples. This is a preview of it. And now he gives a prescription from them for them. This is not by any means the only way to ever do ministry, but it is the starting point for this first commission. And I think it's good for us to remember how commissions often start. It says he commanded them to take nothing. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, 
no copper or money in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So again, does this mean that there's no proper way to do missions if you are you know, supported before you go or if you take any supplies with you? No. But I think it's interesting that the first commission required nothing but the grace of God. They were to go with one staff. It's like you get a staff, maybe a walking stick. Maybe that's a picture of the, the, the shepherd's staff and, and the picture of kind of helping the, the, the chief shepherd corral people into the kingdom. But when it came to provisions that would at all entangle the mission with anything but the grace of God, he says, don't take it. You don't need it. And so for this year coming up, as you hear this message, and you think, okay, the purpose of my life is to know God and to serve him on this side of eternity. If only I had a little bit more money, I'd do that. If only I had, uh, you know, some better resources or a head start or, you know, if I, maybe I'll do a fundraising round or, you know, maybe if I had my, my business in order. The entry point into the mission field is God. The grace of God, the provision of God, and you trusting that God, who calls you, will also provide for you. And for those of you who can think back to your beginning with God, isn't it wonderful to think back to those years when, again, it doesn't mean that God can't add resources to your life. Many people love resources, but you don't necessarily need them. That the beginning point of your life with God was you saying, I come with nothing but empty hands and a trust in your grace over my life. And it's the same with your entry point into the service of God. Do you love God? Okay, you're qualified. Do you, have you asked God for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Okay, he's going to freely give that. Do you trust God that he will provide for your needs? Amen. You have been commissioned to serve God. Now find a co-laborer and begin to pray and see where God leads you. And it's refreshing to remember as we get the blessings of God that at any point, if we have God, we have enough. I think back as you, you know, think through the new year, maybe some of you are thinking through things like your marriage. And a marriage is an office that sometimes can be blessed by resources and sometimes cursed. You can add all of the responsibilities and the good things of God to your life. And sometimes it's like, wow, remember the beginning. Remember when we had nothing. Remember when we sat on lawn chairs in the living room and ate top ramen. We were blessed because we loved each other. And God gave us grace to make it to the next day. And so it is with ministry. Remember, church, when we were in a tent. Remember when all we had was a parking lot and a tent? Remember before that when it was just like a, a gathering of people at the, over the blues bouquet? And it's like God provides and he provides and he provides and he provides. And this year, God will provide. You can take any worry or anxiety or confusion about what your life is supposed to be about, and you can lay it at the altar of worship of Jesus today and say, God, you call me to literally have nothing, and then you take care of my needs. Also, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from the place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, Shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You are called 
to trust in God's provision, and you are called to trust in God's mission. I know sometimes we, in the performative culture that we live in, it's like, well, I don't know what to say. People don't want to respond. I don't want to offend anyone. I love this simple mission reminder. Go where God tells you to go. Trust him for everything. And if people reject you, because they will, as you follow Christ and you give the message of one Savior, one Lord, one baptism, a judgment against sin that could be equated to Sodom and Gomorrah on steroids, the world would be judged. And instead of being afraid of the message of Christ, he says, this is what you say to him. You've heard the message. I dust my sandals off. And now the message is between you and God. You cannot save anyone. You can't open someone's heart. You can't open someone's mind. You can present the gospel. And then you say, between you and God. This is a message for me right now. As I present a view of the future, the new year, the the life that God is calling you to, I call you. I say to you, turn from sin and turn to God. I say to you that sin will be judged. And for any of you who trust in the power of God's saving grace that sent his baby into a manger to die on a cross and to conquer the grave, you will freely be saved. God will give you newness of life. And now that message is between you and God. And if I have offended you in any way, I dust the dust off my sandals. If you have a view of salvation or heaven or a worldview of politics and the world that we live in that is much more uh, humanism or if it's much more open to many versions of salvation or if you don't believe in sin and it's just about being good or bad or karma, uh, I, I reject all of that. God loves you. Your only hope for salvation is to accept the free gift of his son that will take on your sin and guilt and shame. He will pay the debt of your sin on the cross. He will forgive you and give you newness of life. And that message is now between you and God. This is how we are to survive a culture that is offended by Christ. If you can only share Christ if you can only be part of the commission of Christ, if you can only follow Christ in the bumper crop booming ministry, if you have no way to follow him through the rejection and the slump and the offense of the world that we live in, you will not follow him at all. And it says in verse 12, so they went out and they preached that people should Repent. I imagine there are a lot of New Year Day messages going out on a fine Sunday morning at church. And there are probably some messages that would not be offensive at all. In fact, I think that there are many people who are going to encourage people today in the Word to say, trust in God and He will care for your needs. And for them, in in any way that God prospers you, trust God. But we find ourselves in a message of repentance today. A message to say, anything you do apart from God and his perfect will for your life will be judged. It will separate you from God. 
It is a message that says, turn from anything in your life that would lead you away from the will of God and come into the perfect image of the invisible God in Christ and follow him through the beautiful act of repentance. This is the message that we find ourselves this year. In place of resolution, we say repentance. As you think about the life that you are going to carve out in this upcoming year, I encourage you to practice what the word preaches today. Repent. Turn from anything that is not of God. And the beautiful gospel good news of this message it says they cast out many demons and anointed with, many, with oil who were sick and healed them. They preached a message of repentance and they blessed people's lives. And I believe that is the true message of repentance. When you turn from sin and towards God, the word says that you are entering a time of refreshment. You're entering a time where, where God can begin to work in your life where God can lift your burdens that sin will, will, will cause in your life, where God can begin to bless you and care for you, comfort you, heal you. Repentance is a beautiful, beautiful act of refreshment between you and the Lord. And I'll leave you with one verse, and then we'll take communion. In the Gospel of John, which could really be overlaid to this moment in the ministry of Jesus, it says, He came to his own, and his own received him not. But then it said this, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To follow Christ, to believe in his power and authority, to be commissioned by him, to receive him in this way, says it gives you the right to be called a son or daughter of God. For those of you who need to do that for the first time, this will be the greatest New Year day of your life. If you receive Christ today, you will look back on the year 2023 and it will be your new birthday. And for those of you who have already received him, stand on the foundation that you are a son or a daughter of God, because you follow Christ. You have received him into your life. You have been born again, no longer of flesh, but now by the perfect will of God. And may the will of God define our year. As we follow Christ, highs and lows and ups and downs, praise and rejection, may you know God as a loving and gracious and caring father over your life. So happy new year, everyone. May we all be closer followers of Christ this year.